If you could take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 18, Exodus 18, I'd like to read verses, I'm going to start in verse 17 and read through to verse 23, but the passage will, uh, more of the passage will be included in the sermon. Exodus 18, 17 through 23, let us pray. Lord, I ask that you'd attend to us in um, this hour, that uh, we'd think things perhaps, Lord, that we've never thought before, or be reinforced in some areas that we need reinforcing or corrected. Amen. Exodus 18, beginning in verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. And we'll stop there. You may be seated. So I'm going to um, give you a, uh, a heads up, all right? I have talked to the elders in the past about the possibility of having my pulpit supplied by Larry Meyer, who is unable to do it at the moment, because I've been trying to work more and more on um, this book I'm trying to write called Aspire to Be an Elder, which has been kind of going on for years I mean, 20 years probably, but uh, it's gotten more serious. And I've actually created, and I think most of you know, whether you've taken advantage of it or not is another question, uh, a, a weekly, bi-weekly, uh, or I should say twice a week, um, teaching coming from the book. They're just about five paragraphs each. You can get it on your phone. You can have it emailed to you if you're interested in reading those. Uh, let me know. If you're, if you're not already signed up, I can help you with that. But I wanted to spend more concerted time, finish the book, do more research, reading, etc. And uh, Bob and Paul were like, yeah, we're good with that. Well, Larry couldn't. And so what I decided to do in the meantime is I'm going, I'm going to, in the next few sermons, maybe five, 
It's been um, preaching this series I did back in 2006. 2006, I preached on church elders during our evening services, which means most of you have never heard these unless you've gone back into the sermon audio archives and listened to them. I'm thinking Jason Butine has heard these already because he listened to all those at one point. But these sermons are going to be pretty much the exact same sermons I did then, except for I will pause at different times during the sermon to comment on things that were going on then or have changed since. It's been about 17 years, okay? And we've actually implemented some of the ideas about elders that many churches really don't think about implementing. It's not, I don't even think on their radar. And you'll see what I mean. So I will preach, but then when I say uh, in the midst of the sermon, sidebar, sidebar, then expect me to make uh, explanatory comments. And I hope, I hope it's not going to be too confusing. Okay? But telling you it might be confusing might, be, might cause you to be more alert in your listening. Now, back in those services, okay, in 2006, the elders then were Frank the Jagger, Gerald Alsom, and Ed Homan, and I was the fourth. But I was kind of considered the church pastor, and they were considered just the elders. Here it is. I want to explore for a few weeks the church office of elder. It is one of two offices established by Scripture. Scripture also establishes the office of deacon. As a local congregation of the CRC, we currently appoint and vote men into both of these. In the following weeks, I want us to learn why Paul refers to the work of an elder or an overseer, you might call him. He refers to it as a noble task. 1 Timothy 3.1 I hope this study inspires every man, young and old, and fills their chests with the hope of someday holding this ecclesiastical office. Men, We should aspire to be elders. We should want to serve the congregation of Christ for him and for them. But I think to get to that place, our definitions will have to be rethought. And it's because in the more modern history of the church, the office of elder has been watered down, neutered. Yes, the modern church has come to view elders as a little more than as as little more than pastors helpers. We have adopted an unhealthy and unbiblical idea of what an elder is supposed to be. We think that somehow the pastor is the main guy, nearly the only guy that matters, the quarterback of the football team, while the elders are just his offensive linemen. They block for him. Another analogy I have used to explain this false idea of the pastor and the elders is that of Santa and his elves. 
because many pictured the elders as only Santa's helpers. The problem is, the idea is foreign to Scripture and therefore unbiblical and unhealthy. We need to change our understanding of an elder. And I believe that when we do, we will find that Scripture considers the pastor and the elders as the same thing. There should be no difference. In other words, all elders are pastors, and all pastors are only elders, and so it might work better to refer to them as pastor elders, pastor slash elders, or overseers, or presbyters. When we pray for them, we should be praying, thank you, Lord, for our pastors, because we've got four of them right now. That is what I am contending is the biblical definition of an elder. Sidebar. This is 17 years ago I'm preaching this. I know some of you went to Reformed churches other than ours 17 years ago, maybe as children, you know. But things were basically that way and still are in many, in many cases. It's Santa and his helpers or the quarterback and his linemen. That's the setup. That's the, the feel of elders in a church. The elders here at that time only really assisted the pastor on visits, you know, taking the Lord's Supper to shut-ins. Sometimes we'd be wrestling with disciplinary decisions, and they were involved in that. But none of them preached or taught or even wanted to get anywhere near those ideas. They were good men, but the concept of being apt to teach which is an elder's requirement, did not exist. They would have considered themselves unstudied. And they pretty much were. They, they had lived a long life of learning to love God properly, which is the most important thing in a life. But they did not invest a lot of study time outside of church worship. I'm not blaming them. It was normal throughout the denomination. Back to the 2006 sermon. So, hopefully, putting yourselves back in the pew of what things were happening then, right? Now, before you think this sounds too outlandish, you should listen to the tasks of our elders according to our own CRC church government manual. It says an elder is responsible for overseeing the doctrine and life of the members of the congregation and fellow office bearers. He is supposed to exercise admonition and discipline along with pastoral care in the congregation. And finally, an elder is supposed to participate in and promote evangelism and defend the faith, page 151. More than this, I hope these next few weeks will cause us to chew on the data of Scripture. 
I also intend to share more publicly some of my motivation for starting a business back in February. Sidebar. Okay, we started GAPA Security Solutions back in February of 2006. The sermon series was preached from, this sermon series was preached from August through September. Back to the sermon. I think most of all of you are aware of the business. It hasn't really been kept a secret. However, my guess is that many of you do not have a clue as to what has motivated me. Well, I intend to share that with you. Probably not tonight. Suffice it to say, unless you drive me from this church, I intend to die here. And I hope that you all share the same commitment to this covenant community. Sidebar. One of the elders, Ed, did not die a member of Alto CRC. He left the church on a Sunday morning in the middle of my sermon because I preached that drinking alcohol was permitted by God, just not drunkenness. He called me out during the sermon. Ironically, it was a sermon on the Holy Spirit's fruit of self-control. That was the most unself-controlled moment we've had in a worship service. (laughs) Just crazy, ironic. He walked out and never returned. Gerald and Frank stayed committed to the congregation until they died. Also back then, men served, okay, only three years as elders, and then often took a year break. And we had kind of a revolving door, utilizing just four or five of these guys, taking turns. I had my ear off, I'm coming back on, etc., It's still ordinary for that to be the case in Reformed churches. Back to the sermon. Now, if you'd like to pre-study some passages referring to the office of elder, then I would point you in the direction of, and I said these, and I will say these, John 10, 1 through 18, Acts 20, 17 through 38, Acts 15, the whole chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 13, Philippians 1, verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, the whole chapter, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25, Titus 1, 5 through 9, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Now this evening's text, which I read, does not perfectly define the role of an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. First, we have here elders who've been set up by Moses to rule for the old covenant people of God. And because of that, I think we find here a mixture of both church government concerns and civil government or societal concerns. And we should understand that the jurisdiction of the church elders' authority is limited in disciplinary purposes to the members of the church. As proof, we would cite Paul's admonition to the church of Corinth, where Paul says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, 
or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is that of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. The second point we should make, however, is that it's perfectly acceptable and most agreeable to have Christians seated as rulers over civil affairs. Indeed, a society should uphold the high standards of God as it meets out justice. And who better to interpret those standards than a godly man growing up from in a church? Perhaps this is something similar to what was practiced in Geneva during Kelvin's time. According to a professor, T.F. Torrance, listen carefully. In Geneva, these seniors or elders, not the church ones, the city ones, okay? In Geneva, these seniors or elders were representatives of the city councils who were associated with the ministers in keeping discipline. Together, they constituted the consistory, which comprised 12 members from the city councils, elected annually, and six pastors, and was presided over by one of the syndics or magistrates. Sidebar. I should have made some clarifying comments then that I didn't. I just read the quote. (laughs) But I will now. The seniors or elders spoken of here by Torrance in Geneva are governors. They're rulers in the civil realm. Not the church. They used the term for civil society too. However, they were Christians and they collaborated in council with the church pastors to determine what God's justice should look like. Back to the sermon now, where I'm still quoting T.F. Torrance. Their prime function was to act as judges in matters involving spiritual and moral discipline with authority to pronounce censure in the community, but without prejudice of civil jurisdiction. Calvin insisted, however, that counselors joined with ministers in this way must leave their batons outside the door where the consistory met, for they could not exercise their civil authority in the public affairs of the church, while they had to take an oath similar to that prescribed for ministers. They were not ordained or set apart in any way and were never regarded as members of the Presbyterium, which was comprised solely of ordained presbyters. Sidebar. So although the magistrates and the pastors worked together, Calvin argued for a distinction between the church and the state. Back to the sermon. Indeed, it is important to differentiate between church authority and civil authority. 
However, both governments are accountable to God and his holy word. And maybe that is what Calvin's Geneva was working toward. The church helped the state understand God's will. Perhaps this is history to which Matthew Rommel can later comment. Who's he? Matthew Rommel. Matthew Rommel quit attending Alto after only a brief period, and few of you probably remember him. He had stuck it out. If he, if he had stuck it out, he could have added, I think, a lot to the intelligence of our church. Back to the sermon. So with the above in mind, let's go into tonight's text. And I want to go to those texts, the verses I haven't read yet, starting in verse 5 of Exodus 18. Exodus 18, starting in verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Okay, what a wonderful thing to have a father-in-law who sacrificed to your God. Yeah? And who confessed with his own tongue. Now I know that the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is greater than all other gods. And I tell you, Christ invites anyone to come into the covenant community, and, and so should we. If they come in showing respect for God. They must come in humbly and on God's terms. Matthew Henry writes, quote, Jethro, being hardy in Israel's interests, was cheerfully admitted, though a Midianite, into fellowship with Moses and the elders of Israel, end quote. Jethro was delivering to Moses, what, his wife and two sons. They needed headship. Though Moses was leading and judging all of God's people, he still needed to be a godly husband and father. The home, the home needs Moses, and Moses needs the home. Your family has a knack for keeping you in the real world. And we know that one of the biblical requirements of an elder is that he manages his household well. If a, if a man cannot provide for and manage his own home, 
then how will he ever be able to teach others how it's done? Continuing with verse 13. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. This is an important sentence. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. You've got to remember something. This man Moses was up on the mountain with God more than once now. And God spoke to him and told him what the people should be like. God gave Moses the commandments, and and for Israel... He has become God's mouthpiece. You can imagine then how maybe he would be a little nervous about delegating his judicial responsibilities to anyone else. God had had invested in him this office. Add to that the simple fact that no one else had ever taken God's word No one else had ever taken God's word and applied it to a nation of people before. It's like the key machine I recently had to purchase back then. It cuts highly restricted patented keys. I did not know how to use it when I first got it. Tom Rip, who we pretty much all knew back then, came over and showed me how. But then I assumed that I would probably have to cut all the keys for a large order that Tracy and Lydia were working on. I did not think I could pass it on to them. They did not know how to use it. Well, I'm happy to report that Lydia has cut approximately 225 more keys on it than I have. That's right, the score Lydia 228 to Dad 3. Sidebar. It took place in the Parsonage basement. Okay, when we started the business, everything went on over there. We didn't own a company building. It was just me and Lydia and Tracy doing work for the business in those earliest days. Abby and Calvin helped in their very young way to do whatever they could do. It currently takes about 15 people, working pretty hard. We're, we're very lean right now to perform the work of the company. Back to the sermon. Moses was God's man, and he was adjudicating, judging, with the precious law of God. No one else had ever worked at this level before. He must have thought it was up to him. No one is going to be able to cut these keys but me. For the early church, this would have been like going to the apostles. For they were the ones, like Moses, who had been taught by God himself. The apostles were the ones Jesus moved by his Holy Spirit to perform miracles and bring the gospel with power and write the scriptures. 
They, along with the prophets, were the foundation upon which the church was built. But Jesus ultimately planned to establish others. Pastor elders, overseers, to govern his church. And that's the way it has been forever since. And so the Lord sends Moses, his father-in-law, Jethro. And Jethro had got good wisdom. And by it, God establish, establishes the government he desires. Which brings us to verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, What are you doing? It's not, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And he went on and gave the advice. You must be the people's representative before God. Disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and the laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for all the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Sidebar, I don't have it in here. Sidebar, the words I'm reading are probably not what you find in your Bible right now because we used to use the NIV and we have since transitioned to the ESV. Back to the sermon. Now, I want to point out first that Jethro adds a condition to what he tells Moses. He says, if God so commands, in verse 23. So don't begin to conclude that Jethro is just passing on some good advice. It might work out for a time, take it or leave it. Rather, he realizes that that advice would require the support of God, and God was ready to give it. Second, Jethro also realized that not just anyone was capable of meeting the needs of this office. These officials would need to meet certain character requirements. Now hear this. They would have to be capable men, trustworthy men, men who hated dishonest gain, men who feared God. This is an important similarity to the church office today, the, the character and experience of the man, the experience he had in life, but the experience also that others had in their lives dealing with the person. So men who are, listen, men who are quick to flee from responsibility or men who do not keep their word or men who might be tempted to show favoritism, these men, these men must not be given the weight of the office for they could never carry it. They would more likely corrupt the office or let the people down. Their positions would be poisoned by their personalities. Jethro was suggesting a new order for governing the covenant community. And men of established and godly character would be necessary for it. 
Moses would not wear the judicial robe alone. In fact, he would only wear it for cases of supreme difficulty. This certainly helps make sense of Christ's church structure. The apostles and prophets were the foundation with Christ himself as the cornerstone. But now Christ governs the church from heaven through his appointed elders. He has assigned them to oversee the New Testament covenant community. Paul writes to Timothy and provides guidelines for the New Testament church elder. And you see, again, the same requirements for character and experience that Jethro laid out to Moses. The Apostle Paul writes, Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fail, uh, fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We'll spend more time on that passage in the future. Finally, Jethro advised Moses in verse 20 to teach the people the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they were to perform. It would be time better spent. How did Moses take his wife's Dad's advice it says in verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. One more thing. I think it would be very difficult to make a case that Moses established hundreds of full-time justices in a moment, paid in full by the covenant community. I don't believe these men quit their work. How little bit of work was established in the wilderness then to get paid by the church coffers or from the church coffers. It's more likely these men were appointed and then were willing to make time. Maybe they got a stipend, given a stipend of support. A lot of conjecture going on here. But they did what they did for the good of the community. They carried the burden willingly. They aspired to partake in this noble task. And Alto CRC, this will be our test in days to come. For it is my hope for each one of our elders to be seen as pastor elders. I believe the biblical vision is to have a plurality of them. Overseers, no one more significant than the others. No more professional clergy. Sidebar. 
I find that we've come a long way in this direction. It takes a lot more work, I'll tell you, in life to be this kind of elder. To make your own way in life with God and help others to at the same time. It means you must study, read, prepare sermons, and teach. Teach from the pulpit, from a music stand, teach in the foyer, wherever. An elder must be apt to teach. But even more importantly, it requires age and wisdom and a life of experiences with God. That's the most important thing. And nobody's totally fit for it. Nobody. Back to 2006. Can it be done? Yes. And it must begin to occur for the health of the church. I'll explain more in future sermons. But first I would like to leave you with this challenge given by Alexander Strzok in his book, Biblical Eldership. This is a great quote. Some people say you can't expect laymen to raise their families, work all day, and shepherd a local church. But that is simply not true. Many people raise families, work, and give substantial hours of time to community service, clubs, athletic activities, and or religious institutions. The cults have built up large lay movements that survive primarily because of the volunteer time of their members. We Bible-believing Christians are becoming a lazy, soft, pay-for-it-to-be-done group of Christians. It is positively amazing how much people can accomplish when they are motivated to work for something they love. I've seen people build and remodel houses in their spare time. I've also seen men discipline themselves to gain a phenomenal knowledge of the scriptures. End quote. We will accomplish this Alto CRC by God's grace. We will accomplish this. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that uh, this has not been too muddled or confusing or broken seeming to the congregation that they'd leave here and if that was the case they'd return to it on their own um, and listen again we ask this in Jesus name